0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Chris Ria. good morning everyone it's great to see you here in person or if you're watching at home online i want to start this morning with a question does anyone out there like watching home renovation shows on tv like fixer upper the whole chip and joanna gaines thing my wife and i like to watch these well let's be honest she likes to watch it and then i kind of hang out in the background. Now I'm getting closer and closer and starting to watch these shows with her a little bit more. But what I love about shows like Fixer Up or Home Renovations is you have a couple looking for their dream home, right? They wanna renovate a house. And so uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines would take them to several different houses. And when you see the houses that that they wanna buy, you look at them and, and they don't look like much. They look like they're falling apart, they're old, they're not in style, they're outdated. And so what Chip and Joanna Gaines would do is they'd show the couple what the home could look like if they renovated it. They'd do a whole mock-up on a computer screen and they'll show them, hey, this is what the house could look like. And then the couple, what they would do is they would go and they'd pick one of these houses and they'd start the renovation. They'd start by demoing the old house, right? They're they're getting in and they're they're taking everything down in the house. And then they're starting to, you know, do some different things in the home and before you know it, every time they run into some kind of problem. <laughs> Makes for good TV, right? They run into some kind of problem. Oh, man, there's a crack in the foundation we didn't know about. There's something in the roof. There's something. There's mold behind the walls. And now I don't know if we're going to be able to do what we wanted to do. And it's going to cost more money. And we're going to have to get creative and figure it out. But then by the end, they figure it out. They have this big unveiling of the home, and when the couple walks in, they're so shocked by the transformation and the renovation. Sometimes there's tears in their eyes, and it's this beautiful, amazing moment that everyone celebrates. But it is amazing to see what something used to look like. It goes through a process of transformation, and then it comes out looking completely different. In the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, this is basically what's happening throughout this story. It's a story about something that was broken, burnt down, completely destroyed, and a group of people going to fix it, to renovate it, to roll up their sleeves, and to get the job done and make it look good again. But in this story, you face all kinds of opposition and all kinds of different things that pop up along the way that threaten their ability to actually rebuild this broken and destroyed city of Jerusalem. It really is a great story. And today, what I want to do is I want to look at one of the characters in the story. His name is Zerubbabel. Can you say that with me? Zerubbabel. 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 Tomato, tomato. I don't know. Zerubbabel is what I'm going with this morning. If it's wrong, I'm sure I'll hear about it after the service. But Zerubbabel, we're talking about him. And he begins to lead a group of people back to Jerusalem. That's his job. He wants to lead a group of people back to the city of Jerusalem. And on their way there, they're singing, they're dancing, they're praising, they're excited to begin the process of rebuilding the altar and the temple. That was the first job of Zerubbabel. He wanted to rebuild an altar so that they could begin to sacrifice again. And then he wanted to rebuild the temple so that they'd have a place to worship God and a place for God's presence to dwell. And so... Zerubbabel, he's excited because this trip back to Jerusalem, it symbolizes a huge prophetic promise by God. Pastor Tony talked about that a little bit last week. And this story is prophecy unfolding before their eyes. That's the coolest part about this story is it was prophesied that this would happen and it's beginning to happen. And there wasn't just a prophecy that God's people would go back to Jerusalem, but there was a prophecy that they would rebuild, that, that would usher in the Messianic king from the line of David, is also in that prophecy, and that God's presence would dwell in the new temple. He would be there with them. So this is the prophetic process or promise that they believe they're ushering into by moving back into the city. They really believed that because they move back, they renovate, they are going to experience God's presence and the messianic king is going to make his way into the world, And I know this because if you read Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48, that's a homework assignment this week. I don't have time to read eight chapters to you today. I'm going to give you the highlights, but go back and read this. Ezekiel 40 through 48. Basically, what Ezekiel is talking about here is Ezekiel was a prophet who was in Babylon. And he writes these prophetic promises while he's in captivity, 25 years into captivity in Babylon. He describes in chapters 40 through 42, an enormous new temple where the glory of God is going to return. Sacrifices are going to be resumed in chapters 44 to 46. That happens. And then the land would be restored to God's people. And not even not just restored to God's people, but even Gentile believers—either people outside of Israel would come and worship there and know who God really was—and the land would be ruled by a prophetic or a, a messianic prince from the line of David. So there's all of the stuff that's in Ezekiel chapters forty to forty-eight that is telling us that this move back to Jerusalem is the fulfillment of a lot of prophetic words that God gave to his people. So with all this in mind, you got Zerubbabel. And his name literally means planted in Babylon. What a name, huh? I was born in Madison Heights. I'm glad you didn't name me born in Madison, or planted in Madison Heights. Yeah, I I don't love that, but he represents the generation of people that was actually born in Babylon. That's what Zerubbabel represents. And his main goal, like I said earlier, was to rebuild the temple and to restore the sacrifice, the sacrificial system, so that they could give praise and sacrifice to God and rebuild and worship God in the temple. So, with that said, I want to look at a verse in Ezra chapter 3, verse 2. It says this, Then Joshua and his fellow priests and Zerubbabel and his associates began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. I know I didn't say the fathers names. I didn't want to botch them. Okay? It's in the scripture. I know. So now what you have is you have Zerubbabel and you have Joshua. This is very important to understand why they mentioned both of these people because for the first time now back in Jerusalem is you have a descendant from the line of Judah. This is Zerubbabel. He could be king or governor of the land. And then you have a legitimate descendant of Aaron, the priests. So you have someone who could rule the land and be king from the line of Judah, and you have someone from the line of Aaron who could take on the priestly duties. So they put leadership in place the same way it was years ago in the original temple. And so what they began to do is they began to start to rebuild this altar. And in order to help you understand the significance of this, I'm gonna have to nerd out for about the next five to seven minutes, okay? I'm gonna have to tell you some some things and explain some things to you that you may not know. I learned a lot when I was researching this, but it's really important when you're reading the Old Testament to do some digging. Because if you're not careful, we're Gentile believers, We're not Jewish, we're not Israelites, and if you're not careful, you read something in the Old Testament and you go, that is crazy. How can I believe that was God, or what was God doing, or what was he thinking, or what is this all about? So it's important that we understand the context of everything that we read in the Old Testament and how it points to Jesus. God had a plan for Jesus way back in the garden in the book of Genesis. and the whole Old Testament, it's, he's starting to unveil a plan and point to a Messiah. That was his plan from the beginning. And so when we read the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, we gotta look at it and do some digging so we can understand it more. So hang in there with me for the next few minutes. If you look through history... The reason why you had to build the altar and the temple is because this is what Moses did when he led the people out of Egypt. God's people were enslaved in Egypt. God says Moses, sends Moses, Moses leads those people out of Egypt. And in chapter 14 of the book of Exodus, they come out of Egypt. And they began a 50-day journey to Mount Sinai, okay? When they get to Mount Sinai, God literally gives them the Ten Commandments. Audibly, gives them to Moses. The people hear God's voice. He gives them these commandments. In Exodus 19 and 20, God gives them a few more laws. He gives them instructions on how to build an altar to sacrifice, Then in chapters 22 and 23 and 24, they make their covenant with God. It's called the Mosaic Covenant, and they sacrifice an animal, and they all agree to be part of this Mosaic Covenant, to follow it under the penalty of death. We're gonna follow the law of Moses, the 10 commandments, the law God gave us. We're gonna sacrifice on this altar. We're gonna do everything by the book. And if we don't obey it, we agree it will cost us our lives. So this is, that's where it all started. And so what we see in Ezra chapter three is Zerubbabel begins with the altar. And the reason they built the altar before the tabernacle, before the temple, was it it would take a long time to build that temple. And they wanted to be able to make sacrifices right away. So they needed a sacrificial system, so they built the altar. And so the altar came first, then the house of God. That's how Moses did it. He had, uh, he built an altar. Then he had a, what's called the tent of meeting where God's presence dwelt. That's how Solomon did it. And now this is how Zerubbabel is doing it. It also says, hang in there with me. I know I'm going around, but this is going to be good if you, if you hang in. It says they observed the feast of tabernacles. That's what the Bible says in Ezra chapter 3. Now, this is fitting because God commanded his people to celebrate seven festivals. These festivals weren't without meaning. God doesn't do anything without meaning. There were four festivals in the spring, and there were three in the fall. The four in the spring were foreshadowing the first coming of Jesus Christ, and the three in the fall foreshadows the second coming of Jesus Christ. So the Feast of Tabernacles is the last feast of those seven, and it's an eight-day festival. I know it's confusing. Seven, eight-day festival. So at the Feast of Tabernacles, basically what the people would do is they would leave their houses, and they would make tents, and they would live for eight days in these tents. And what it would do is it would remind them that they, of the time when they didn't have a land, when they were in the desert, and there was no land of their own, and it would make them remember what God did for them. So they would literally tent for eight days, and on the eighth day, they'd go back to their homes. And it just would remind them that God gave them this beautiful city, this beautiful temple, this beautiful altar for them to sacrifice on. And they would just ultimately have a spot where they could encounter God and his presence. But ultimately, the Feast of Tabernacles, what it did is it helped them to look forward to a day that God would not bring them just a temple, but he would literally bring the kingdom of God to earth, eliminate all evil, and establish his messianic King. So the Feast of Tabernacles is pointing to all that. Someday, we're not just going to worship God in a temple. Someday, his presence presence isn't just going to be confined to this one room. Someday, he's going to eliminate all evil from the earth. His presence is going to be among us everywhere we go. And we're going to have a Messiah King that reigns and rules the earth. Amen. That's good. So the Feast of Tabernacles actually anticipates the very last two chapters of Revelation, where it says that the kingdom of God came to earth, God came to earth, Jesus came to earth, and there was no temple because God and Jesus the Lamb are our temple. So this is what is happening. This is why it's so important to understand what Jesus did on the cross, how significant it was when Jesus died on the cross. He said, it is finished. The sacrificial system for sacrificing in order to get right with God was finished. Worshiping God in only a temple and only the priest being able to experience him in the Holy of Holies. It's over God's presence is now among us. Now, it won't be to the second coming of Christ until all evil is eliminated. And Jesus King, Messiah, will rule the earth. But right now, we have access to God's presence. We have access to God's throne room because of the cross. It's very important to know. And it just so happens... That when Zerubbabel came back to Jerusalem, he came back during the Feast of Tabernacles. So that was very important. They came back right at the time where this huge prophetic promise is about to be fulfilled before them. So they celebrated that, and they were looking forward to rebuilding Jerusalem. And having God's presence and his peace among them. So let's read on in Ezra chapter 3, verse 8. You guys hanging in there with me this morning? All right. Ezra chapter 3, verse 8. In the second month of the second year, after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all who returned from captivity to Jerusalem, began the work They appointed Levites 20 years old and older to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. So we see once again, you've got a king, you've got a priesthood. They're starting to establish it and they're starting to rebuild the temple. Now, whenever you start some kind of building project, it's always very exciting. I remember when we built phase one building, our first building over here back in 1997. And I remember when there was nothing but grass right here. Nothing but grass. And there was a big sign that said, future home of community Christian church. And I remember seeing that, and we drive by that all the time. And then all of a sudden, one day, we started to see progress on the building. I remember being, uh, you know, a young teenager and coming up here with my dad and my mom and we'd just be so excited because there were people clearing the field and then there was footings being dropped in and the foundation was being laid and and it was so exciting to see we're going to be in a building someday. We're not going to just be a portable church. We're going to have a space that's our own. So there's a lot of excitement happening. They're starting to build. They're getting workers there. Progress is being made. And so they get to this point in verse 10 where they're building the foundation of the temple. And this is what it says. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, The priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites with cymbals took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord was laid. Verse 12. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. Interesting. They lay the foundation for the temple, should be very exciting day, and you have people celebrating, and you have people weeping. Kind of sounds like today, sometimes. You got people celebrating and people weeping. And why was this so? Why were some people celebrating and some people weeping? Well, I'll tell you why. The younger generation was celebrating because they never saw the first temple. They never saw Solomon's temple. They never saw what Jerusalem looked like in its full glory. They only heard stories. So to them, oh my gosh, the temple, the foundation, it's laid. This is amazing. We're, we're, We're on our way to finishing this thing. And they were excited. The older generation wept because they had been in Solomon's temple. It was huge. It was beautiful. And it was way bigger and better than what looked like this tiny little foundation for a temple to be put on. That's one of the reasons they were upset. is because it just didn't seem like the temple they had before. It was going to pale in comparison to that temple. And so they were weeping. That's one reason they were weeping. The second reason they were weeping is because God didn't show up tangibly. He didn't show up. His presence didn't come down. Now, I want to show you some of this. I want to show you some of this. Remember I talked about why they built the altar first and then the temple. This is what Moses did and this is what King Solomon did. I want to show you the first two experiences real quick. Back in Exodus, when Moses builds the altar and then he's got the tent of meeting and they dedicate it to the Lord, this is what happens. Leviticus 9, 7. Moses said to Aaron, come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and the people. Sacrifice the offering that is for the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. Boom. They do it. They sacrifice. They repent. They take care of their sin. Now, Leviticus 9, 23 through 24. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. That was the first tabernacle temple. When they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory of the Lord, appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord, and consumed the burnt offering, the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Powerful, powerful moment. God's presence, he's with us. We're doing this, we must be doing this right. And they were just overwhelmed with the presence of God. Let's look at the experience of Solomon. Solomon. Solomon, he's building the actual temple. So what does he do? He builds an altar first, and then he builds the temple. Let's read about it. 1 Kings chapter 8, 3. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests and the Levites carried them up. And King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. Solomon's like, I'm going to do this right. I'm going to get rid of all of the sin. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to give to God more than what he's expecting. I really want to do this right. And so then 1 Kings 8, chapter 10 through 11, I mean, chapter 8, verse 10 and 11 says this. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. So in both situations, the first two times, you had a sacrifice for sin, a repentance, you built this temple to God, You welcomed him in, and his presence shows up powerfully. I mean, said he he filled the room, the temple, so much they couldn't even carry out their priestly duties. They couldn't preach sermons. They couldn't do worship. They just fell face down in the presence of God. What a moment that would be. So, each of these times, you see a pattern. You do A, You do B, it equals C, right? Right. Sacrifice, build, dedicate, God's presence. He's with us. Not this time. Not this time. They dedicate the temple. No tangible presence of God. No fire. It was small. And I got to believe the older people are going, what happened? What did we do wrong? I bet they felt alone. I bet they felt fearful. I, felt they, I bet they felt abandoned by God in this moment. So why didn't God show up in the same way this time? I mean, after all, it's his plan. It was his plan for them to go back to Jerusalem. God gave the prophetic word. He gave the plan to King Cyrus. King Cyrus let them go. He gave them all the materials they needed to build something spectacular. This was God's plan. He sent the people back. So why didn't he do what he did the first two times? Well, there's a couple, I don't know for sure, to be honest with you, but there's a couple thoughts I have about it. Number one, maybe it's because God is showing us that he doesn't always do the same thing. You know, maybe he was showing us that A plus B doesn't always equal C, that there's not a formula for God's presence to show up. Maybe. But I also think it's what I'm gonna talk about next is I think that the people's heads were in the right place, but I don't think their hearts were in the right place. You see, they followed the letter of the law. They did what they were supposed to do. They did the research. They looked up how Solomon did it. They had a king from Judah. They had a priest. They looked at everything they were supposed to do. They read about it in the Torah. Okay, we've got the formula. We got what we're supposed to do. Let's do it. They rolled up their sleeves and they went to work. But something was missing here because in Ezekiel chapter 36, 26 through 27, there's also a prophecy that he gave, and he said this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will put a new heart in you and a new spirit in you. That hadn't happened yet. That prophecy wasn't fulfilled yet. And I believe, this is my opinion through studying scripture, but I believe God was setting this move up differently. I believe he was preparing now for the Messiah. You're going to go back to Jerusalem. You're going to rebuild the altar. You're going to rebuild the temple. You're going to rebuild your home. But instead of my presence being poured out right here in the temple, I'm going to start to usher in the next phase, the messianic king. Now, he wouldn't come for 500 more years. And I think that was the disappointment with the people. I think the disappointment with the people was we thought when we did A plus B all of a sudden all these promises are going to be fulfilled in our lifetime right here, right now. But God doesn't always move in our timing. He's got his own timing. We're not. We're an addition to the plan. He's he's the main character in the story. And so they were weeping, I believe, because they realized maybe we're not going to see this in our lifetime. Maybe this isn't everything we thought it was going to be. And you kind of have like this anticlimactic moment right here but I really believe it was strategic. I believe God was starting to show his people it's time to turn your heart. You see, the first two times I did this, you followed the letter of the law, but then you strayed away from me. You strayed. You let the culture, you let the peoples of the land dictate how you lived instead of my word dictate how you live. And you strayed the first two times. I realize this on the third time, you're going to stray again. If my presence shows up in a tangible way, you're still going to stray again. Because without Christ, we stray. This is the whole point of the old covenant. We couldn't do it on our own. We couldn't earn enough of God's favor on our own, in our own strength, in our own works. We couldn't be good enough. We couldn't follow the law all the time. We sin, we mess up, we make mistakes, we make mockeries out of our lives. And God said, I gotta do it this time. I gotta once and for all send my son to this earth to remove all the barriers, to remove the curtain that's in the way, to remove the veil, to remove all of these things that keep my people from me. I got to remove their sin nature altogether. I got to make them a new creation. And the only way we become a new creation is by kneeling at the foot of that cross and giving our lives to Christ. I got to be a new creation. This old way isn't working. We will never be able to follow every letter of the law. That's why everywhere you look in our country and around the world, you hear of people failing and messing up. We can't do everything right all the time. We're human beings. But God is making a way. And I believe just as he prepared those people to receive the messianic promise He's preparing us for the second coming. Now, it might happen in five minutes, in five years, in 50 years, in 50,000 years. I don't know. But he's preparing us now. And you know what he's concerned with the most? Our heart. If we're going to rise and build, if we're going to build the kingdom of God again, which that's what this series is all about, it's a call to the church. To rise and build the kingdom again. If we're going to do that, it starts with our hearts. It starts with getting our heart in the right place. God said, I will put my spirit in you. Let's read it again in Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The only way The only way we can remove our heart of stone is if we are walking by the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That's the only way. You see, it's not just about knowing Scripture. If you look at any character in the Bible, they knew Scripture. The Pharisees memorized it. People knew it. They knew the law. They knew right and wrong. But what did Jesus say? You worship me with my your lips, but your hearts are far from me. That's what he said to the Pharisees. And if we're not careful, we get into a position where we begin to operate by the letter of the law instead of the Spirit of God in our heart and what He's doing in our lives. And I think this is a season. It's very easy to get angry by what's happening in our world, to get this indignation up inside of us, to get angry, to want to lash out, to want to fight. And I find myself asking these questions. You know, like, God, what are we supposed to do right now? Is it a season to love more or to fight more? Do you want us to embrace what's happening or do you want us to fight it? Do you want us to roll up our sleeves and go to work and try to reverse everything that's happening in our country and in our society and try to take control? What do you want in this season, God? This is the question. I've been crying out to God for an answer to this. I really want to know. And I believe God is saying, give me your heart and don't worry about the rest. Give me your heart. Don't just operate by the letter of the law, but go back and let the word of God go from your head to your heart. Seek my face for my heart, for my people and the people of the world. Trust me and let me go to work. Let me go to work. That's what I believe. And I'm not saying we can't stand up for what we think is right or wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we're not going to win the battle with a fight. Just like Zerubbabel, he could build the temple. He did everything. He built the temple. Where was God? God's presence wasn't there. It was his plan, but his presence wasn't there. And sometimes we think we're doing the right thing, and God's like, I'm not in that. That's not what I'm doing. But we think it's right by some interpretation of something we've read. So I believe it's a season we need to, the people of God, this is what we need to do. We need to get on our knees like this. And we need to pray and seek God like we've never had before. And we gotta say, God, I want your heart. I want your wisdom. I want your spirit. I want you more than anything in my life. I want you more than it all. And I want you to give me wisdom to know how to operate in your spirit in this season. Let's, let's, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I don't know have all the answers. I just know I want you in my life. I want to be led and guided by your spirit. I want your wisdom. I don't want the wisdom of men. I don't want to rely on other people. I don't even want this church to rely on something I say. I want them to rely on you. You have the answers. You have the wisdom. You can lead us. You can guide us. It's not time for opinions. It's time to seek your face. And God, I pray you would move on the earth, that your presence would show up in tangible ways, that we would know you are in everything that we're doing, and if you're not in it, we wouldn't do it. We love you so much. Lord, it's a weird time out here as a Christian. It's weird. And I just pray you would help us navigate these waters, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would speak to us and through us, that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours, that you would soften our heart of stone and put a new heart of your spirit in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. It's so good to worship with you. What I want to do at this time is just want to give you an opportunity to support our youth. You know, Pastor Tyler and his team and our staff has worked so hard because we believe in this next generation so much. We believe God's going to do some amazing things. So we want to give you an opportunity to go ahead and take a tour of the new renovation to get some lemonade and some baked goods and just to hang out and have some fun. God bless you guys. Have a great day.